In this podcast, we discuss the Advanced Leadership Program. Why are we teaching the ALP at OSID Institute? Is it just a check-in-the-box to complete? Or is there more value to it? And as an NCM, is it just a mandatory step you do before moving on? Or is there knowledge that can be leveraged in your career? To have that conversation, I have two special guests who know the ALP inside out. To explore the diversity of ideas, perspectives, and stories of the NCM Corps, this is OSIT Podcast, to give voice to the NCM Corps. In today's complex international security environment with both conventional and non-conventional asymmetric conflicts, the, the strength of the mission, com- mission command philosophy can only be truly met with a professional NCM Corps. But at, ve- at the very basic level of that mission command philosophy, lies a single, a single uh, principle. Why? A why that needs to go up and down the chain of command from center to periphery at every level and every rank. So why do we do this? Why do we need to do it? And, and the why is fundamental because if we know why, with, if everyone knows that why, we can decentralize decision-making, be more flexible, more mobile, and agile, and ultimately adapt faster than the enemy. And if the why is important on the battlefield, it's also important in education. And so the why question is fundamental. I think that if you can explain the why of things, uh, that makes a huge difference to people's motivation. They understand the purpose. And sure, we live in a fast-paced society and the organization and institution is even faster. And so we tend to leave the why aside and instantly going through the motion of doing the program and doing it as fast as possible, right? And, and, and it's obviously a fast-paced 10 weeks program. So what I want to do today is to kind of slow down everything and focus the conversation on a single question, which will then allow us to kind of map the program itself and its value within the NCMPD framework. So why? Why the ALP? Well, first off, you know, the practical answer to that question could be that you know, the NCMs need to do the ALP in order to continue the progression of their career. And that is the mandatory step within the professional development level four framework. But that's not answering the question. That's literally like saying or you know, translating in battlefield terms, like, why do we need to take that hill over there? And the answer would be, well, because you have to. If that's the answer, that's not mission command, right? Because I don't know why I need to take that hill. How is it part of some larger objective, right? And and what's the strategic importance of taking that particular hill? So the same thing happens with education. We need to explain why. Why do we do uh, NCMPD education and and most particularly uh, the Advanced Leadership Program? So to have that conversation, two guests. First one is a former candidate of the ALP program who not only completed the program with honors, but was also nominated and ultimately, ultimately won the Chief Warrant Officer Dan Brissett Award, Chief Petty Officer, Second Class Seaman. Uh, well, hi, Chief. <laughs> hi, <Eric. laughs> and, and we also have uh, one of the mastermind of the architecture of the current program. Uh, we're also teaching it. Uh, and from the OSIN Institute, teacher uh, Lisa Tangi. So hi, Lisa. Hey, good morning, Eric. Well, so thank you for being here. And, and you know what? I, I, I think maybe one of the, the ways to, to start that conversation would 
probably to to get a, some sort of of historical perspective of um, you know the the ALP program itself. Uh, so obviously you've you've been there a couple of years at at OSID. Uh, you know a lot about the process, how to change, and, and so can you give us kind of what is this thing that we call the ALP, <laughs> and and from maybe when it started or or, or from from your understanding, you know what it was at the beginning. Mm, all right. Uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, very interestingly, I was involved in the creation of the program when it all started. I think it was in 2006. We were detached from our teaching duties to build two new courses. But that was right at the beginning, so I, right? Sorry, I mean, because like the center was like 2003, right? NCMPDC? Exactly. So 2003 okay, okay. with ILP, that was the only courses. The, the only course that we had uh, back then. And 2006, if I remember correctly, we had uh, we were given this mandate to develop two new courses, one for uh, CPO2 MWOs and another one for uh, CPO1 uh, and Chief Warrant Officer. So six months uh, to just draft two new programs, and that's all it, it all started. And how was the, the ALP, I mean, back then? Even technologically, it's different, right? I mean, they didn't have, like, webcams and, and Moodle. And... No, 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 no. We had, uh, I don't know, of course, I remember we had, a, we had an interesting platform back in the days, uh, not as... Uh, not as technologically advanced as what we have now, uh, but still kind of basic and interesting. Uh, so I was more involved with uh, developing the um, what we call back in the days the CQC, the Chiefs Qualification uh, Course. Mm -hmm. uh, but I remember that, uh, yeah, there was... Um, what was interesting is that there was no... It, it, it took a while for ALP to develop its own identity. So it mm. was kind of obvious that ILP was about leading people, right? Because yeah, we do yeah, have yeah. a leadership doctrine that addresses the whole topic of leading people yeah. and clearly saying it's intermediate level leadership. And we we're also mindful that uh, Chief's course um, was about leading the institution. So yeah. for, for a while, ALP was kind of sitting, I don't know, on the fence without having a clear identity of its own. And I, I would assume that this is something that we have uh, worked on uh, when developing the, the, the new um, iteration of the program in 2020. You know, saying, okay, well, perhaps this course is about leadership and transition. And, and, and yeah, let's be mindful of this transition. Let's, let's uh, address this transition. And I, I was listening to what you said in introduction. And the philosophy of Mission Command is really interesting uh, indeed, because it's about knowing the why to kind of determine the how. And it's a bit yeah. what we try and 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 bring into uh, ALP with the idea to focus on a professional issue. So we're adding all these members coming in with uh, 
wealth of experience. I mean, it's crazy the experience they have. So yeah. let's discuss the why behind different to mm. different topics, different concepts, mm. different institutional vision. And you're the one, students are the ones to work on a professional issue to try and determine the how, how to address these challenges. So uh, yeah, that's what we, you know, try and, and, and bring to life uh, with this new version of the course. Uh, and may, maybe for those who are not, you know, from the ALP universe and kind of listening and they're wondering, well, what is the program? What is it? Like, how is it structured? You know, let's say for those who, who don't know the ALP very well, I mean, it's, it's a 10-week program. And then, and then uh, Lisa, do you want to uh, explain, you know, what, what it is, what it does, uh, what we ask? Uh, our students. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll try and do that, uh, you know, with uh, maybe outdated uh, uh, ideas in mind, because I haven't thought the course, uh, you know, until, uh, uh, not until, but uh, it's been at least a year since I, I, I thought the course, but uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure the essence uh, remains. Yeah. So essentially, yeah, it it's about... It There's always a module pertaining to leadership, and and mm. and this will address uh, different notions that are like intrinsically uh, related to leadership. So it can be how to motivate people, can be communication. You know how to communicate in 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 leadership roles and responsibilities. So there's this notion of leadership, uh, which is for ALP, as I mentioned, transitioning. So what does it mean in terms of roles and responsibility to be transitioning from one pole, leading people to the other, leading the institution? Uh, so that's the essence of, of one of the module. Another one is also about, you know, what we call a few years back, the complexity of the institution, meaning that the CAF is a system that essentially evolves within a way larger system. So the CAF within Canada, the CAF within the government, the CAF within Canada, Canada in the world as well. And that's where all the operations comes in and interactions with partners and host nations and so on and so forth, the notion of cultural intelligence. So it's really getting the bigger picture of uh, defense and securities and operations uh, at large. And uh, yeah, the culminating point uh, two years ago was the profession of arms itself, right? So, okay, what does it mean to be a professional in the military? What are the mechanisms, means available for leaders to kind of express their influence exhibit professionalism and, and, and so on, so forth. So discussing so many things like uh, ethics and discipline and, and, and different challenges to professionalism. So there is plenty of challenges. And, and I like your question about the importance of the why, because this is one of the challenge right now with the, and I think many of the, our, our students on, on ALP are kind of stuck between two generations, right? So the mm. old generation yeah. uh, that was socialized in, in an institution that was not so much into the why, 
and the younger one coming coming in that really wants to know the why and for whom it is important to work uh, knowing why they are uh, doing what they're doing. Uh, so that's essentially the three main modules that we add uh, when we develop at least the, the programs in 2020. And, 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 and the big feature was uh, there, there was, were two things. So one was to kind of introduce uh, some, some virtual training because ALP uh, used to have its own residency phase, but because of budget cuts, it's, it's now only uh, distance learning. And there was this, this need to try and, and, you know, make it a more dynamic course with human interactions where it's not only about people in remote locations, not having face-to-face -face interactions. So, I know, thanks to the pandemic, we had, you know, all these new uh, technological tools that were brought to us. So we were able to create these virtual uh, synchronous activities, even though it was a distance learning course. So this, this was really exciting because we, uh, yeah, started asking students to um, work on public speaking. So provide oral briefings. And so this was one of the, one of the, I don't know, maybe novelty, if you will, back uh, like two years ago. And also the idea was to, instead of, you know, giving them a topic to work on, it's, it's, it was much more of a student-centered approach. What is it that you want to work on? So what are the pressing issues in your work environment that you feel need to be tackled right now? So we, we wanted to give them an opportunity to work also on uh, actual professional issues. So trying to link theory and practice together and not only uh, stay in the realm of theoretical thinking. So we really wanted to bring practice and, and real life uh, activity, have authentic situations to work with. Uh, so it was absolutely interesting. I think it was kind of motivating for many students, challenging for some of the teachers, because uh, guess what? You're not the sole expert anymore, right? So the student is the expert of, of the chosen professional issue. And I guess that the teacher becomes a complimentary expert instead of being the only expert. So he's the one like guiding the students through a thinking process, through some research methodology. And it's, it's not a one size fits all. Every student has particular needs, particular interests. And on top of a uh, student centered approach, I think there is a relationship centered approach. That's kind of interesting trying to tailor our teaching to each and every individual on the course. At least that was my, some, some attempt uh, that I did and uh, that was very rewarding to be in a two-way street relationship, you know, where you receive as much or, or way more than you may give to, to the student body. So it was really interesting uh, for me and very rewarding and motivating. Yeah, I always say uh, when when talking about the ALP that it's, it was a paradigm change 
on on a multiple level and one of them being is is kind of like we used to ask um you know ncms to come into our world of of academic and and now what we did is we took the academic into their world right and because of that it changes, and as you said, right? It changes the the dynamic, the relationship between, uh, you know, what it used to be before, really uh, uh, teacher student, really separated kind of of, uh, of relationship into a more you know dynamic partnership, even a civil military uh, relationship, right? And we also have our DS as well, who who, who will contribute to that. And, and so it's and bring their own expertise into the the professional issue. So the thing is, is for an NCM, they get, you know, they 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 come into the course, uh, and then they choose a professional issue. And chief, how overwhelming is the first week when Nelisa tells you, "Well, you're gonna have to choose a professional issue." And you got 10 weeks, and it's a, a, an investigation on a problem, and then you're going to have to do recommendation. You know, and, and even in your, in your case, you're reserved, so it's even more you know, uh, complicated. So how, how was the, uh, I don't know, first day? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it, it is overwhelming, absolutely. I mean, the, the course outline is very robust. It's very um, intensive, and... You know, the, the outline for the amount of time that you're told to anticipate contributing to the course is 80 hours. Um, now, that would be different for everyone. I know for me, um, it takes me time to synthesize, like take on board the information that, that I've heard and then translate it into something once I settled on my issue. But even after settling on my issue, it was scoping the issue down because um, it was not technically my area of expertise. It was something I felt uh, passionate about from an organizational perspective. It's something I was also seeing on my civilian work side as well. And I was on a professional and a personal journey in that area. So uh, Lisa really put it well. It's that it's that um, bringing together gather that theoretical, those theoretical constructs into the real world. Like what's our, where are we working now? So it was absolutely overwhelming uh, in part because it, DL afforded a lot of flexibility in some ways, but it also creates its own challenges in terms of when you're in residence at a course, you're focused on that course. You, do, you are able to actually push other responsibilities aside for the most part, but when you're in, on DL, you're still dealing with all of the everyday uh, aspects of your life, your personal life, your work life, even for those regular force, my regular force colleagues or my reserve colleagues who are on full-time class B, which is full-time employment or full-time contract. For me, as a reservist, I work full-time for the RCMP as well as do the reserves in my part-time as a part-time job, so to speak. So bringing this big educational piece um, into other responsibilities, it was it was really overwhelming. <laughs> I will say, I don't want to scare anybody away, but I mean, the reality is we have to be prepared for that. And it's important to have the conversation so that people feel like they're not alone if they're feeling that way and, and that it's just the reality. And, it's, and we're pushed into that. Um, it's meant to 
uh, stretch us. Absolutely. I mean, again, you know, we're, many of us have been maybe working at that level, but maybe not bringing all of the elements into it that, that we need to be to do that job properly. But yeah, it's it, it, when you look at the course outline and all the readings and, you know, each of the milestones you have to meet at various stages of the 10 week course, it's, it was a lot. <laughs> well, it is, but I think that, you know, our students need to, to hear that. Right. And, and that's part of, of, Digging into the why, you know, of, of why we do things, and 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 obviously we'll continue that that conversation. But uh, so week one, uh, first thing we ask our students is is to choose that topic, choose that professional issue, which is really is a professional issue, right? I mean, we need to uh, circumscribe it into to the particular uh, level or, or or rank or position. Uh, depending right because all all environments and components are different so so we're trying to find a perfect fit there but that that fits into the 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 transition right part that that lisa was was talking about but so so maybe uh for those who haven't had a chance to to read your your uh your report that that by the way that is also available in a canadian military journal right and so we can give some uh some uh the, the url for that for those who are interested it's also available on OSID publications website so anyone who wants to uh, read uh, chief seaman reports it's, it's available there um so what's the issue right i mean what is it? Why? Why? Why don't you? Why kind of explain us? Uh, maybe how? How? What was the process of, of choosing that particular issue? Well, um, so I guess uh, you know, for me, I've, I've I've said this to many people. Um, it's not often that you're uh, have the opportunity to be in a course uh, with your colleagues across the CAF, meaning all environments. Uh, all components. So I'm a reservist in the Navy and I'm on uh, a course with my army regular force counterparts. It's the previous experiences uh, in those situations have been the most rewarding probably of my career because it rarely, we're rarely given that opportunity to, to be together. So I felt a lot of uh, responsibility to choose a topic that was bigger than sort of my, maybe my occupation, for example, uh, because I really was hoping to leverage uh, that, that environment um, because it really is about personal experiences, the crux of the issue, I think. So when I was thinking about it, um, I, I, knew, I knew quite early that I wanted to talk about uh, gender inclusivity in part because I'm in the Navy and it was quite a... a you know, well-known and quite a public um, issue as the Navy decided to go to um, gender-neutral uh, rank structure. Of course, for me, uh, my name was part of the rank structure before. And so initially, you know, and I went through my whole career as ordinary seaman, seaman, able seaman, seaman, master seaman, seaman. And so for me, my identity is, is slightly a different connection to that whole issue. So at first, I thought my paper would be you know, from seaman to sailor, gender inclusivity in the Navy. But then I thought, well, no, that's not, that's not um, going to reach enough people. It, it needs to be, it, I need to lift it up out of that. And so um, certainly that's part of the context. That's one aspect that really shed light on where we're at 
as an institution on the issue of inclusivity in the Canadian Armed Forces. So um, I guess the, the other piece of, of choosing and scoping my issue was, so I knew gender inclusivity was an issue in the CAF I wanted to focus on, but then bringing it down from high-level policy and strategy statements to what can we do? What's our role at our rank level uh, as chief warrant off, as chief petty officers uh, and, and um, master warrant officers? What, what can we do in this situation? What are our responsibilities? So uh, that's how I, I came to scope my issue out um, because I felt it was really important for me to look at an issue that was absolutely um, a, a problem, an issue is a real challenge in the forces at this time, but um, to look at what, what are the responsibilities of the institution um, and, and we as leaders at our, at our level that we can actually influence. And, and Lisa, because for, for the benefit of, of, of our listeners, they don't know that Lisa was actually a teacher of Chief Seaman. So, so Lisa, when, when you get that particular uh, proposal in terms of professional issue, uh, what do you think? Because obviously, I mean, from, or, or let me rephrase that. What's, how do you see it, uh, the value for, for the, as part of the ALP, OCID Institute, uh, academically speaking, um, what was your position on that, on, on their particular choice? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting question. And uh, yeah, this is the type of uh, proposal for a topic that is as much uh, relevant and interesting as it can be challenging, right? Because this mm-hmm. is pretty much yeah. eye in the sky, very institutional. Mm-hmm. And some students will, will kind of struggle to make this, uh, practical for them, or at least for their level of leadership. Uh, but Michelle's uh, skills were awesome, and, and she really kind of bridged the gap between the institutional level and the leadership level of ALP and, and, and CPO2 MWOs. So this was really a strength of hers. And, and anyway, at very early on in the course, I kind of I, I kind of realized that she was a high achiever that she was she had the capacity to to work uh, with this type of topic so I was not concerned and I was I was thrilled that uh, someone was um, I will say courageous enough to uh, to address such a sensitive topic because uh, that's the type of topic that won't please everyone because can be fe- felt like, um, I don't know, something like the, um, I, I will put it this way, the institutional Kool-Aid, if you will. Um, yeah. And it can be treated like this. That's not mm. how Michelle uh, address the topic at all. You know, she really had a capacity to reflect deeply on uh, the meaning of this particular issue and the challenges, you know, and and really, um, yeah, facing real life, uh, real life issues, because it's one thing to have the proper institutional narrative 
And I think the cast does have the, the right talk. But she really went into addressing the actual, okay, now that it's, they, they are trying to put that into practice. What's working and what's not? So this is really how, how I, I felt she addressed the, the topic, uh, which made it like interesting for from an ALP perspective, but also uh, from an institutional perspective, you know, and the Brissett Award actually kind of sealed the deal saying, well, the way she tackled the topic is interesting for the cast at large. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, this was an awesome uh, proposal and it was bang on with the uh, key institutional challenge of the day uh, and you know that's still current and relevant uh, right now so uh, yeah i want i want to do some sort of a exercise together where where let's i'm i'm going to ask a, a, a question and then and then you answer it to your own particular perspective right so so What's the analysis of it? I mean, just what came out of your analysis, uh, uh, Chief? Uh, because there's, for those who don't know, we do a, a, a mind map, a mapping of the uh, of the context of the environment of the ec ecosystem, if you will, of that in, in order to understand what's the relationships, what's the systems and subsystems involved into that particular uh, dynamic. And then there's an exam where we really try to, to use uh, institutional theories uh, and, and academic concepts where, where we need to mobilize them and analyze that particular issue based on these uh, concepts, theories, and, and, and notion. And, and then after that, there's going to be the uh, recommendation part where, you know, basically you did the analysis and then the next logical part would be to uh, propose uh, new uh, you know, solutions to that. But it's always interesting because it is a dynamic where, where on the one part, the students has to do the analysis. On the other, the teacher has to understand how, yeah, but how does that link, right, with the concepts of the institution, right, uh, uh, with... Uh, doctrine itself, right? Uh, how can we embed all of these into what is institutionally important, uh, but never losing sight of the also like the operational objective of it, which is like we need to find solution. We need to right. So, but how do we connect organization and institution? That is the tricky part, the difficult right part, if you will, of the of that program. But it it is why it is worth academically right and i'll say from an education perspective more than a professional development i mean we're really into the realm of of really uh mobilizing education principles so so that's why i'd like to hear kind of both of you uh briefly on your own perspective of maybe from lisa's perspective what chief seaman was able to kind of mobilize and how she was able to to use the the organization and and, and the institution and on your part chief uh what was what came out of your uh analysis and understanding of the issue uh okay i'll i'll uh i'll go i'll go ahead first uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh you know from a teacher's standpoint we tend to focus on the concepts and notions Right. So what's the student's capacity to um, kind of master an understanding of these concepts? 
and uh, make relevant linkages and some some connections that are not like uh, like deep connections to the chosen professional issue, right? So of course, uh, Michelle's understanding of the concept was was um, spot on. This was not a challenge, uh, at least from my perspective. Might have been uh, from your perspective and uh, struggling to wrap your head around uh, some of the concepts, but. What came out of it in terms of analysis was kind of uh, adding a clear understanding of the concept. And also she was very open to feedback. So it was kind of interesting to, to have this type of conversation where she would bring in some ideas and then uh, being open to uh, integrate some of the teacher's feedback. Because for those that are not familiar, the first few uh, assignments there are formative in nature, meaning that they're meant for students to essentially receive feedback. There's no grades, there's no, um, no, it's not a summative evaluation. So it's really like try out your ideas with the teacher, with some colleagues, and uh, see what, what's, what, what's working for you, what's clear for you and what's not. So, um, yeah, what, what was interesting is uh, she really selected key concepts. So communication, systems thinking, and culture change uh, to address uh, this particular topic through the lens of uh, evaluation. And uh, there was this report that was published in 2020 when she, uh, she, she, she did the course a report that was evaluating the implementation of the CAF diversity strategy. Uh, so she was able to use these concepts to really provide a critical perspective on the implementation of the CAF diversity strategy. And, and I was just going over uh, her work uh, yesterday to kind to, to prep for this, uh, this little discussion that we have today. And I was amazed by uh, our mind map. And for those interested, it's available in the Canadian Military Journal. So the mind map is so complex, so encompassing, and, and explained in such a clear way. So it's, it's kind of rare that our students have such a high level um, analysis or ca capacity to analyze system, from a systems perspective. So this was really one of the, the strength of our, of our uh, analysis. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because I was listening to what you were saying, uh, Michelle, a few, uh, a few minutes ago, and I, I like the, um, what you brought in terms of the personal reasons uh, behind your choice. Uh, and it speaks volume to, you know, in the academic world, we are often drived by rationality, uh, being objective, speaking from a third person voice, you know, to try and take as much distance as possible from, from the topic, right? But I realized that with uh, at the OSID Institute, because of the student body we have and because they're adults, because they're experienced professional, they often have a strong subjective appeal to the topic they're choosing. And I think it's a wealth. I think there, it's important for us to acknowledge that 
and to work using a, a blend of both, you know, this, this, this subjectivity, which brings so much passion and, and, and commitment to the topic and, you know, balancing that with rationality and objectivity. I think this is the perfect balance. And uh, yeah, aside from, from, from the concepts, I think this, this also makes a difference into the quality of the paper uh, that the students like Michelle uh, produce. Okay, so Chief, what's going on there? So, <laughs> I mean, what's, what's the answer, right? Everybody's waiting for that answer. What's going on? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I very humbled by, <laughs> by Lisa's words. Um, there's so many different things that, that, um, in your question, uh, Eric, as well as what Lisa said. And, and I think, um, you know, just to, to make sure, um, you know, what, what you said, Lisa, about why I chose this topic, it really was, um, you know, not just, uh, about trying to make sure I was taking best advantage of the opportunity on the ALP, but I was at a professional and personal crossroads as well in terms of, you, I had, uh, you know, my work in the civilian world is with um, the, the RCMP. I lead the victims of crime section for the RCMP and came to that work from working on the RCMP's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Inquiry Team, mm. which was set up to respond to the national inquiry. And, and in specifically, I was working with teams that were set up in the provinces and territories that were helping families navigate systems and agencies like the RCMP, other police forces, um, just other justice, criminal justice processes, and, and trying to help bring, um, in my role, bring those support systems uh, in contact with the RCMP and help the RCMP understand, those investigators understand when they're sitting down with families, you know, what is going on with that family when they're giving an update on their loved one's case. And that involves understanding where that person is, what their identity is, what their background is, what trauma and harms they've experienced. And so I had already been doing a lot of education because I came into that role realizing I understood so little about Canada's history with Indigenous people. It was, I was almost um, ashamed to say I did not know much about residential schools, if anything, it hadn't been part of my school education. So all of those things and, and having to put myself in a position of vulnerability in this work, sitting down face to face with indigenous families who had suffered such traumas and having to acknowledge that I was learning and trying to understand cultural impacts. And so it was a professional and personal journey of myself in an indigenous lens and so I, I felt like I was, uh, you know, I sort of started to get into that change mindset and I was open to being, you know, listening to these things. And then um, in my personal life, we had several family members who came to me in, in terms of, um, you know, gender issues. So they were uh, recognizing their identity was different and they were asking me how to navigate that because I felt that I was an open space to an open person to talk to about that. And I felt I was ill-equipped to, uh, you know, I didn't know quite how to respond. I didn't know how to support that. And on the military side, 
we were grappling with these issues as well. I was support. I was actually supervising somebody who was going through a transition. So I felt almost that while I wanted to address this issue from a calf perspective, and I felt we needed to highlight, it was also for me personally to figure out, um, I need to learn more here myself. So I am part of the issue in the calf. And so I felt a real personal connection to, to that where, you know, we often will tell leaders and we're reminded of, we can identify issues, but what's the solution? So mm-hmm. yes, come to me with a problem, but what are your recommendations going to be? Mm-hmm. And so I kind of felt this, I really did, as Lisa said, I was really personally connected to the issue that I saw in the organization. It, it was a real organizational issue that I was also grappling with face-to-face with sailors who are looking at the institution saying, are we still, look at all of the strategies, all of the language, as, as Lisa said, we've, we've put out strategies, we've had training, we've done all these courses, and yet we still seem to have not moved the yardstick in any meaningful way. People, the lived experience of the CAF members, they're still experiencing this. So the professional conduct we expect through our policies and our strategies, we're not um, translating into actual changes in the force, whether it be through leadership examples and personal member actions to really impact the lived experience of our sailors and our uh, all of our CAF members. So that's really what galvanized me to that particular piece. And so in, in thinking about that, as we're sort of going through the, the way that the structure of the ALP is and taking you through the doctrine and, and it's very, um, it's set up in a way and it, and it was, I think, really valuable. It kind of, it, it forced you to get into those uncomfortable spaces where, okay, I'm reading it, but then we were always pulled back to our professional issues. So really forced in a way, but in a good way to, okay, you've read all of this. So how does that, you need to identify some of this doctrine that is now connected to like, let's examine this part of how you would analyze your problem. And I think that's really key for um, the eventual output product because you can read all the doctrine and, and policies and articles you want. And yes, you know, they're, they're concepts, you understand them. But when you're trying to connect them back to a real world example that you know you're going to have to come up with recommendations for, that's a whole different thing. So I, I feel like the the systematic development of, you know, working through that process. And yes, definitely um, at each stage, um, and it was really grateful uh, to the feedback um, that it was given. And, and I thought, uh, you know, I was so grateful for Lisa as, as an instructor because she was so passionate about all of the work that we were all doing. I, I, I don't know where she found the time to do, to run the course, but also provide the detailed feedback and recommendations about, I don't know if you've seen this article or perhaps you've, um, you would be interested in looking at that, not pressure to do so, just suggested options, which I was very grateful for because I felt very constrained by the time pressures. There was already so much to read in, in the syllabus, you know, you're thinking, do I have even the capacity to go beyond what's asked for in the syllabus? Um, but I, I just, I don't know. It just, I felt like every um, piece of feedback that I received from Lisa was really meaningful. And I thought, okay, I, I've got to look at that, consider that for the next time, which 
you know, at the end, when you put all the pieces together and you're working on the final paper and you're also preparing to present your paper, I did go back. I tried to really go back and look at all the feedback I got to say, have I considered some of these other recommendations to be sure that I'm kind of on track? I mean, I may think I'm on track, but it's important for that outside perspective, as well as somebody who has access to a lot of the academia and, and issues, it was a real help to me to have those recommendations from, from Lisa, because um, certainly I would do my own research, but there were other pieces that were helpful. And so, you know, looking at the evaluation that was done at the time, like, cause there was a lot of things happening at the same time I was writing my paper. So you wanted to be sure you weren't caught in the past and only reflecting on past issues you wanted to also give credit for where work is happening. You know, where is the progress being made? Uh, and why, if not, why is that progress not happening to the degree that it's having an impact on the lived experiences of our, uh, of our Canadian forces members. So that, that relationship with the instructor, when there's somebody as dedicated as Lisa was to really understanding where the student was coming from, seeing where they were. So, you know, really, again, it, it, I, I come back to that. It's even, it's the work I do with, with uh, when I'm working in the RCMP, it's the work I feel we need to do in the Canadian Armed Forces is coming to that point where you're meeting people where they're at. And I think the institution has set um, that standard with their instructors where the instructors are really trying to meet individuals where they're at in their experience in the military, but also maybe they haven't had a lot of experience in academia. I had the privilege of, of being able to work through, you know, I have a university degree, so I've, I've had um, experience writing papers, doing research, and in my civilian job, I have to write a lot and I have to represent issues at senior levels. So I did have that in my toolbox, so to speak. But I feel when I, when we would have um, our experience and opportunities to speak with our fellow candidates, it was clear that everybody was bringing really valuable perspectives and lived experiences to the table. And I feel that um, the strength of the instructor is meeting those candidates where they're at and then helping guide them with those pieces they need. So it might be additional academia or research articles, or it might be um, ways at which they need, that they need to learn. Maybe it's not about reading. Maybe they need another, another approach because interestingly, a candidate on our ALP um, had a learning uh, difference. And so they actually wrote about that. And it was, it also opened my eyes to another layer of inclusivity and approach as a leader that I hadn't considered. And it's something that Lisa would have, would have had to address as an instructor to meet that student where they at, because this student was highly functioning, like at a really high level um, in terms of the paper that they were talking about, the, the way they made their arguments. It was really, I mean, it was a standard to try to, to reach, I felt. But I, I just feel that the strength of that student-teacher collaboration, so, you know, Eric, we talked about this before, what's that military-civil relationship there? It was really key to my success, absolutely, because just getting through the course is challenging enough. Um, and then having the support, the really invested support to help guide me for my situation is key. Well, 
that is i mean i'm going to use that as some sort of transition because now we're talking about a civil military relationship and and when we created the chief warrant officer dan brissett that was that was one of the aspects that we want to showcase is that you know we 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 organize an event in which there's going to be both you know civilians and military and we're having that conversation together right together as part of the same institution and and i think it would be interesting to discuss maybe the experience itself and with your recommendation because uh it was a long process after concluding the program and then and then we chose your your paper you you were nominated as this semester's nominee and there's three per year and then at the end of the year is the annual and you were actually the first annual uh three nominees and so we uh had some meetings right uh, i remember having uh, uh some practice uh, meetings of your presentation with lisa uh and 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 you were pretty stressed out and, and the thing is is obvious and, it, and it's obvious right because and for those who don't know and and well probably right now they know because they 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 Maybe they saw the uh, Dan Brissett Award 2022, but there's a leadership panel, right? And and so we ask our nominees to present in front of a leadership panel, and this is like the top leadership cadre of of you know the NCM core, and and we also had we also had a, a general uh, from Kansofcom on that panel last year as well. So there's a lot of people, a lot of command chiefs as well. So it's obviously intimidating uh, for you. But how how did you uh, how was the experience for you? I mean, just I, I think the previous weeks as well preparing uh, did it help to have you know Lisa a lot, me a little bit at the end to help you, uh, and and how did you feel like it went? How was it to present in front? And that's a one, that's one of the questions. Like how was it? I know when I have to present in front of. of you know, I'm I'm doing my PhD, and when I have to present in front of, of professors, I am stressed out. Like, you know, what I mean, I am really stressed out, and it's just what it is. Even though I do that every day in my professional career, it's it stress. I mean, it causes a lot of stress to present in front of of you know, uh, uh, not peers. I mean, just other um, people, and and and. And, and now, in your case, it's obviously superior in terms of of, of, of ranks. And so, uh, kind of wondering, how did you feel? How was the experience? And and I know that the what you wanted to do, the objective, obviously, is to get that message out there, and it's, it's a great way to do it, right? This is the type of conference uh, that we want to have this type of conversation. And I I know it was obviously well received. I know that afterwards it caused a lot of uh interest in that and, and and i want to discuss that as well afterwards but but how was it on a personal level honestly to be part of that um absolutely nerve-wracking definitely <laughs> um one of the good structure of the course though i think one of the benefits of the way the course is structured is at a certain point you do present your recommendations to uh, a portion of your your class so and uh, the way Lisa structured it is she made sure and uh, and in fact, our warrant officer, so Fran, she um, that was supporting us too in this uh, master warrant officer, my apologies, 
um, it was about time. So, so there's a few aspects. It's one thing to know your topic. It's another thing about knowing your audience and how to mm. present, um, distill down uh, all of the work that you've done. And yes, you can have your recommendations there, but you're only given a very, very specific time to make your case. And that's something we all work on, uh, especially when we're briefing senior levels, because there, you really should only be able, only have to take a certain amount of time to brief the key issues, but we're not all practiced in that. So I'd say one of the benefits of going through the 10 weeks was that was an element we had to practice at a certain point prior to uh, the end result, whether we were a candidate chosen at the end of the, of the ALP um, serial or not. When we were preparing and having those um, technical meetings, I thought it was really uh, beneficial. I found it very beneficial for a number of reasons. Uh, one was that um, it obviously we were. It, it's good to go into a situation knowing how it's going to be structured. Okay, there'll be a panel. I'll call you first, then I'll call the next candidate. Um, but I would say the one thing that, uh, and we talked to candidates. So myself and my fellow nominees, we 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 had some conversations after the fact, you know, to kind of get together and say congratulations to each other, and and it's nice to meet you, and all of that, and very interested in each other's uh, personal, um, you know, their professional issues. Uh, but we all agreed that, um, you know, the conversation, and I know it was intended to make sure we weren't too stressed out, but quite frankly. The questions and answers done by the panel are very, very um, challenging mm. in a good way. And but we were uh, I would say that, you know, saying, don't worry about it. You're just talking about your, you know, just going to it's just going to be conversation. You're just going to talk about your topic. Well, in fact, it wasn't exactly like that. Yes, we presented it. But the panel is very serious about the role that they're playing. And they're very interested in the topics, which shouldn't come as a surprise to us. But it was, that's the level of professionalism that is being brought to this environment. It's not just about, okay, great, you, you know, good for you, you wrote a good paper. It's about challenging us on what we've written and what we're recommending, and which I thought was, it shouldn't, I, again, I don't mean to, but I was, it really impressed me about how invested and how much effort was put in by the panel to really make themselves aware, to take time to read, to, to in fact, uh, even highlight some other uh, papers or, or other questions that perhaps we should have thought of or considered. So what it, what it, it, it um, you know, I was very lucky to be the third person to go. So I sort of saw my poor fellow candidates kind of go through the, through uh, the situation first. So I was, I had a chance to go, whoa, okay, this is, this is pretty, uh, pretty serious stuff. Not that it wasn't, I hope I'm not, um, I hope I'm making myself clear. It's not that I didn't expect it to be serious, but I thought the panel and it really, I think made me feel like all my efforts had been worthwhile because they really did take a lot of time to acquaint themselves with the work we had done. Um, and they were bringing their own senior level understanding of where the organization was at. Um, to add that layer to help guide us in further thoughts about where our professional issues stood and where our recommendations may be needed to be rethought or um, we're hitting the mark. So I thought that was really important because as you said, at the very, very beginning of this conversation is why are we doing 
this. It is definitely uh, a box we all have to check in order to be substantive in this rank. However, it's a huge amount of effort. It's blood, sweat, and tears. I won't lie to you. It takes a lot to do it. Um, and so knowing that at the end of it, people are actually taking what we've written very seriously. There, I, I was very, I found that very fulfilling and it, it really helped validate the effort that I felt we had all put into this process. So I hope that answers a bit of what you were looking for, but that was my experience. Um, was very helpful. And I guess the other thing I want to add is uh, when I was preparing and I ran my presentation, because again, you know, do you just verbally present? Do you prepare a slide deck? Um, again, you know, slide decks are only as, as beneficial as how you present the information there. So that took a lot of work. I will say even post paper and getting ready to present I spent a lot of time considering how I was going to take my five to seven minutes to what, how was I going to articulate my recommendations now to this senior panel? Because depending on which audience you're speaking to, you really need to adjust it. Plus time had passed since I'd written my paper and things were moving quite quickly. I mean, obviously it was a very uh, important topic. It still is, but there was a lot of work being done in the organization to show that they meant what they said about that change is important. So it was really also important that I reflected back on, since I wrote the paper, where are we now? Um, and so Lisa was really helpful too. She said, you may want to read, this is something that may not be on your radar. Have a look at this more recent. It's been since you finished your ALP. And that was really key for me because I felt like I, I owed it to the panel to show that I was aware, you know, I, I set these recommendations, but they need to stand the test of time and be flexible and be able to respond to what's happening in the environment. And so I wanted to be able to either respond and, and, and add a, a, a postscript, I guess, to my recommendations if they weren't able to respond to where we were in the organization at that time. Thankfully, I felt like they did. They still stood the test of time the way they were structured. But I think reflecting on where we were not sort of leaving it after I had written it and okay, that's, uh, that's done moving on to the next thing. I think that that was really, for me, I felt it was beneficial and I felt it was well received by the panel. And, and Lisa on your side, what do you think? A couple of points. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, just going back to the why of ALP, um, it's, it's an exposure to a joint environment, right? So, and, and I think um, with the new design, uh, we kind of took advantage of that. So in, in this iteration of the course, uh, ALP 18, there were two occasions for students to present their topic to their peers and get some feedback uh based on a you know uh joint environment perspective so you get the reg force perspective you get uh, other environments other traits perspective bringing all types of information to kind of uh you know have a little less blind spots if you will so i think this is one uh interesting thing to prepare candidates for the reset panel right 
And I remember Michelle really took advantage of that, even referenced some of her peers' feedback in, in her assignments at the end. So really not only taking advantage of the teacher's feedback, but also of, of the peers' uh, networking. So it's networking, but not only for the sake of adding so many contact in your in your smartphone right it's 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 really networking for the sake of of getting these uh various perspective on your issue so that, that was really one point and something that i i kind of um uh, I, I'm, I'm actually being exposed to that right now as, as we speak right and i think this is something that really served uh, michelle well with the panel uh it's 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 michelle's character right so i'm just listening to you right now and i see so much authenticity so much humility and this is something that is kind of useful when you're in front of a panel that takes takes it seriously and that asks the challenging questions so having the capacity to just acknowledge the fact that this is where I'm at, right? I may have overlooked this, but still I, I have the humility to recognize it and to move forward with it. Make makes a big difference when answering these tough questions, right? Uh, and I think this is really, uh, I don't know, uh, I, I was listening to what you were saying and I really had character-based leadership in mind with all the virtues. And I think that, this is a living example of character-based leadership and being authentic is is really like it will never fail you right uh, especially when addressing tough questions like this uh so uh yeah i think that's why you uh came out so strong at the brissette award it, it was also your 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 posture you know your capacity to be there with what you had and 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 remain true to your uh to your uh to your process right to your approach towards this topic so yeah really uh interesting it was interesting to uh to attend the the the, the Bristol award presentation i really look forward to it uh uh this year and and one final point maybe if you'll allow me eric is you talked about uh a fellow student on ALP that was working with uh, people that have, uh, you know, that are learning differently. So uh, Aldwin educated us on the right lingo there, uh, where, where we're used to talk about learning disability. And it's not so much about that. It's about people learning differently. And just, <clears throat> just to give a sense of how having students work on a professional issue like this and having them very committed to their topic that is kind of close to their art makes a huge difference because this this man uh, is at currently rewriting DAODs about learning uh, differently and how the CAF should help these people and accommodate their need. So he came out to me a few a few months ago saying, well, this this work I've done on ALP brought me where I am now, and I'm actually kind of redrafting all the DOADs because I've had the expertise and I could bring this up to the institutional level. So I think this is an awesome example, 
and maybe Eric uh, someone to uh, reach out for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, absolutely. Uh, and, and you know what? The, that's interesting because the why question cannot be answered, you know, today. Uh, and, and, and there's, you know, as many perspective to that question as there are people involved in the ALP in any way, shape or form. Right. And so that's why it's just an ongoing conversation. And, and today we had, uh, your perspectives and, but one thing I want to do, uh, and, and I think, I think it's just one thing that is truly amazing is that the, uh, award took, uh, or, or got a life of its own. And, and since, uh, because we, we thought just it was going to be some sort of a little award, right. And, and, and then everything would kind of die there. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, life just is amazing and, and never ceases to amaze us. But, um, the institution almost took that and decided to make something out of it. Right. And, and since, so, so what happened in the last year, right? A year, a year later, uh, uh, what was, what was the effect of participating, uh, in the, uh, chief warrant officer Dan Brissett award? Wow. Well, it's been, uh, a whirlwind of opportunity to, uh, to speak to, um, all levels of the CAF, I will say. Um, yeah, it, uh, you know, first of all, it was a really proud moment. I know my commanding officer for my unit was on the, on the, on the call and, and he called me right after and he was just like, I, what a moment for the reserve. Like, I mean, congratulations to you, but also what a moment for the reserves. Uh, because, um, one of the things I think that came out of it was, uh, and certainly I remember it quite clearly, General Hunter's questions to me were, Okay, wait. So let's talk about the fact that you do this work and you work for the RCMP and you also work for D&D and how talk to us about how those two parts of your life and employment kind of brought you to where you're at. and How did that impact your paper? Um, and I thought for me, I, I thought it was a fantastic question because it really did. It, it was um, and I still bring that in whenever I'm speaking about it. But to me, it showed a recognition of. Um, and not that a lot of uh, regular force people don't understand reserves, but I think it kind of brought it forward to what the reality of that is um, in a different way. And so that was really meaningful. And I felt really um, happy that that was sort of um, brought forward and, and, and kind of showcased in that way, because, um, you know, there's so many unique perspectives that reservists do bring to the table um, and have these professional lives outside of the work that they contribute to the reserve. So it's, that was very exciting. And then what happened was, um, I was, I started to be invited to speak to, I mean, first of all, I had the, um, absolute privilege to go, uh, for lunch with, um, Chief Petty Officer Gregoire. Um, and that was absolutely a wonderful experience. We had a wonderful conversation. We went for lunch and we, we talked, about the paper and just about, you know, his experience as a leader. And that was a truly, that was a wonderful prize to win. I would say I, I, I loved that experience. Um, and he went on to um, actually reach out to his command chiefs um, and say, you need to read this paper. You should invite 
uh, Chief Seaman, to your tables to talk um, to you about this issue. And so he opened the door for, for some of that. Um, uh, I had the opportunity to speak to the um, senior leadership council of the Navy. So having, you know, the, um, the, the deputy of chief maritime staff, like, I, I mean, at these levels, the, the admirals were at the table, the chief uh, petty officer first class were there in sitting there listening to me and they invited me to speak to them. And I couldn't believe that I was sitting in this environment, like actually speaking to them. And the questions they were asking me were really pointed and really, um, vulnerable, which I was really open to, because I think that's where we have to get to in order to really make change. Uh, and, 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 and even kind of linking into my work on this, on, uh, if, with the RCMP in their experiences with, um, trying to do better to support victims within the CAF of these, of these, uh, you know, some of the conduct issues that were, were happening. So that was a tremendous experience. I mean, I couldn't believe, uh, I was having a chance to be a voice at that table. And to me, um, again, it was another, I guess, validation that this is an important thing. If we take it seriously, if we do this ALP, the fact that, that, senior leaders are looking at what's coming out of these papers that they should be read, that it's not just, just JSP. It's not just the general officers course and those papers that are worthy of reading that you have senior leaders who are looking at issues um, and looking at it from a perspective that you, that senior leaders need to be aware of. Um, that was incredibly, I just couldn't believe that that was an opportunity. It was amazing. Uh, and then, you know, my, um, within the Naval Reserve, I was invited to speak to at the leadership conference of the coxswains across the country, uh, and was the guest speaker at, at their, their invited guests to speak, uh, at the dinner. And I mean, what a humbling experience with the coxswains across the Naval Reserve. It was absolutely a wonderful experience. And, um, now they've asked me to come and, and give part two of that conversation. You know, what's happened since the paper uh, at, a, at the next leadership conference that they're having in January. Um, I guess, you know, the, the publication of the paper in the Canadian Military Journal was very humbling. And wow, I, you know, I have it still in special wrapping. It's like, don't touch it. Nobody's allowed to handle it. It's like, it, that was a truly amazing experience to see it actually published. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and I guess, um, you know, I culminated with being nominated as one of the top 20 women in defense, uh, and where, because of the paper. And so that was uh, very humbling as well. So I'm being just the, the request to speak to, um, to different groups continue. And so I'm, I'm very, I feel very privileged and humbled to be able to do that. And, and that I think is really what's happened as a result of the showcasing that you have done through the award um, and bringing it to the attention of, of people outside of the Institute. And, and that is hugely valuable and very, I hope it is for me, but I hope other candidates will feel that way, that their voices are being listened to, that their work on these hard issues is being considered 
um, and are worthy of being looked at by by all levels of the institution. I mean, quite frankly, you know, for my paper, I try uh, when I was talking to the admirals, you know, I said, this is, I wrote this for chiefs, uh, master warrant officers and chief petty officers, second class, but it's, it's all leaders. Like this applies to you essentially is what I was saying. It applies to you. It applies to leaders at all levels. So I think that's really powerful. And when we take a professional issue like that and, and we really analyze it in that way, the way that we're guided through the ALP. I think that that's what makes it very, it professionalizes it and it, it raises its attention. So that was my experience. I was humbled and very grateful that this is what the result is. And it's still, you know, it, it's, it's not like, oh yeah, I did my LP, you know, a little over a year ago. And, and it's sort of a postmark in my, my career or a milestone in my career. No, it continues to live on. So it's important because that's an obligation that I have as a leader Again, you know, that's what you prepared me for through the ALP is we're supposed to be leading the institution and leading people. And that's what I feel is still happening with opportunities to speak on this issue to whoever is willing to kind of be open to hearing what um, this issue was about and how what how I looked at it and and um, and to ask the tough questions and to challenge me on what I'm recommending and asking how how this could could continue. It's that is the power of change in my view. And I think that your work to professionalize and make those other papers available to the CAF at large is what's going to help change this organization. And, and, and so we have, we have now, uh, well, since, since the last years, we now have OSID publications. So OSID papers, uh, quite similar to CFC papers, but you know, for for NCMs, so we got that data that the database, uh, and now and now you know the the other uh, other initiative that you're actually listening to is this is the OSIT podcast, and this is about giving a voice to the NCM core, right? And um, and I think that uh, you know what you just said was was absolutely critical into understanding the, the value and the importance of, of um, giving everyone a voice and, and making sure that as, as the NCM core uh, uh, itself um, has the opportunity to, uh, to, to discuss uh, institutional issues uh, together, to leverage everyone's uh, perspective. And as well, one of the things is this, um, not only every person's voice but also every unit right uh, and and we don't have necessarily a good understanding of other people's uh, perspective in other environments other components other types of units and so one of the things that we're going to do as well into i guess continuing the effort of of showcasing what the ncm um universe is uh so some people might have seen it, uh, the HMCS Carlton profile, and um, and so if if uh, you saw it during the Chief Warrant Officer Dan Brissett Award, um, well, you saw uh, the uh, Chief Siemens uh, uh, unit. Uh, if you didn't see it and looking for it, uh, then 
contact OSID Institute and we'll make that, that video uh, available to everyone. Uh, and so we lost uh, Lisa a little bit there, a little uh, uh, internet uh, connectivity issue, but she's back. And so I'd like to have uh, maybe concluding remarks uh, from from Lisa. Um, so Liz, what do you think? Yeah, one one uh, one idea kind of stands out for me with um, with a project like Michelle's and 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 the award and and everything that kind of unfolded afterwards, and it's the idea of bottom up leadership, meaning let's use the NCM core to provide a different perspective and the higher echelons of leadership. So I think this is a perspective that's worth uh, knowing and hearing. And that's exactly what the Brissette Award uh, allows, this this type of bottom-up leadership, which is, uh, yeah, also one of the means through which the institution uh, can change, right? Because it's one thing to change the policies and directives and so on but if you want uh culture cultural change and if you want the CAF members at large to embody this change then you gotta sync you gotta connect to the base and that's the ncm core uh, so i think uh this type of 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 work and and awards really can make a difference in in the long run in the long run hopefully uh, it will Eric, I don't know if I could just add to what Lisa said, because I, I would say I agree 100% with what you said, Lisa. And I think one of the things that has been most impactful is the fact that when I speak to sailors and junior members and they ask, you know, they do ask the tough question. They say, really, is really anything going to change? I know they talk about change again. And I mean, these are the real questions that leaders are being asked, like, especially when you're on the ground in the units with your sailors. So to be able to say, well, actually, I was actually invited and I spoke to the admirals. Like, I mean, that's that's a powerful, a powerful experience and a powerful thing to say and to to explain you know, that even on the Brissette uh, award, like the leadership um, team that was assessing the award to say, they asked me hard questions about my paper, which means they were taking what I was saying really seriously. When I relate that back to my fellow chiefs and POs uh, or the more junior sailors, when they're really challenging me on what I'm asking in terms of, you know, stick with it, uh, change is happening, it's slow, but it's happening and we can be the instruments of change, when you can say you actually got to the table to speak and voice in an honest way, a frank and honest way to senior leadership at very at that very senior level, that, uh, that goes a long way to bringing credibility back and trying to reestablish trust of the sailors and, and all the CAF members you know, and you say, no, I was actually listened to. And by virtue of the questions I was being asked, people were hearing what I was saying. I'm not guaranteeing that change is going to happen and it's not going to happen full scale, but micro steps, micro actions, each of us can impact that change. And so 
I just think it's really key to what Lisa was saying and what I think is a true value of how it's not just the ALP finishes when you write the paper. It, it needs to carry on. That All that hard work, that analysis, that really in-depth analysis and key recommendations that are being made by senior NCOs absolutely should not be lost. They, they need to really be looked at and, and brought into the organization for a different perspective to lead change. Well, the OSIT podcast uh, is about leveraging all NCM's voices, all perspectives, all stories, uh, to create a better situational awareness and, and really creating networking opportunities for the entire NCM core. It is an NCM initiative, an NCM podcast. It is for all NCMs. So thank you to you two for participating uh, in in today's question, which was you know complicated. Obviously, uh, it was it was hard to tackle. Lots of different uh, subtleties and and subtleties and 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 perspectives to take into consideration. But I think we had a really interesting and constructive uh, conversation, and we're going to have to do it more often. <laughs> All right, so thank you. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be uh, really soon at the uh, HMCS Carlton in Ottawa. For those interested and want to see the video, if you didn't, didn't get the chance, uh, call OSIT Institute. If you want to reach out to Lisa, uh, again, uh, you may contact OSID Institute. And for Chief Seaman, uh, we are going to uh, uh, give our or or address, uh, uh, sorry, email address, and 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 she's already popular. I mean, you already have all our contacts, right? And she's <laughs> she's being asked everywhere, so that's so that's awesome, and we want to keep that going uh, for everyone. There's going to be uh, our nominees, our winner of that of the of this year, but this is something that we're trying to create and and continue pushing and i think it's it's really important for the uh, uh, the institution and the ncm core itself so thank you very much and we're going to have uh, we're going to have to do it again <laughs>